Good evening. Well, forgive me for stepping out. The uh, general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, Vanuatu, called me, and you can't ignore his call. You have to take his call. And so I was I was standing out in the hallway talking to him until Miss Carol said, yeah, come in. So I knew I had, so I told him, I said, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I got to, hey, wonderful testimony. His wife was diagnosed with cancer about a year ago, and she's been in treatments, and he called and said, hey, Brian, I want, I want you and our friends in America that have been praying for us to know that Miss Ruth was pronounced cancer-free. So praise God. We thank God for that. Amen. And uh, really looking forward to going with Pastor to Fiji. And, uh, you know, Pastor was mentioning a little bit the, the school. You know, we got a we got a couple of things going on there. And I think one of the things that maybe uh, he was talking about, we've got this, this house called the Treasure House. And uh, the Treasure House is an orphanage for unwanted children. And... Um, the government of Fiji is predominantly a Christian government. And so when they have an unwanted child, they bring them first to Treasure House. And Treasure House then will take care of them and place them for adoption in a Christian home. Um, but it's a small facility. And uh, what happens when they get special need folks is the special need folks don't get adopted. And then what they found is they've gotten a situation where their their house is full to capacity with special need kids. And so when the government calls and said, we got another child that needs placement, that they have to say, sorry, we're full. And uh, that means that the next orphanage down the road is a Muslim orphanage. And those kids are then fostered out into a Muslim home. And... Um, we're going to take Pastor there. We hope to just wreck him. We hope he just stands there in that little courtyard watching those kids play and just bubble blubbers and balls. And that's what we're that's what we're going for. But not just him, but also uh, for those students. Because see, it, it'd be one thing to say, "Well, I'm going to just I'm going to just empty my pockets out, and we're going to build a beggar orphanage." But somebody's got to do this stuff. Boy, it got quiet in here. Yeah. No, one of the things we want to happen is some of those students to show up and to see that need and that opportunity and say, see that scripture where the, where the Lord promises, I will not leave you as orphans. Huh? And, and say, yep, that's going to be my ministry. Okay. Y'all don't have to all volunteer at once, but no, that's our, that's our prayer. And, uh, and you know, um, Listen, the, 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 you may not know this about the Pacific, but the Mormons have made a big push in the Pacific. Tonga, the kingdom of Tonga, is the most Mormon country in the world. Isn't that crazy? And you know what they build? They build these big, beautiful high schools. And they give free, high-quality education. Hmm? So one of the things we're going to do with Pastor and all these students, many of them that are education majors, is we're going to drive over there and look at that big, beautiful hospital, not hospital, school, and then we're going to drive across town to an abandoned building that used to be an Assembly of God high school. And we're going to say, what if you gave your life? 
Well, I mean, it could work for you too. Yeah, it could work for you too. So, and, and then, and then, you know, I got a, I got a, a, a pastor out in California. He said, Brian, I will provide clean water for every family in Fiji. The money's not an issue. I will provide a water system for every family in Fiji. That's pretty incredible. But he said, we got to have somebody to administrate this going out, the rollout. And um, so we're going to take those students. And we're going to go to two villages that don't have access to clean water. And we're going to install a water filter in every home. And our prayer is, so I want you to pray with me. Our prayer is that God will wreck some of those students. That they'll say, when I graduate from school, I'm going to take my talents and my skills and I'm going to use them for the kingdom of God. And maybe you're here listening to me today and you say, Brian, I could oversee the distribution of water filters in every home in Fiji. Well, just volunteer. Just come see me. Oh, y'all got quiet on me again. Y'all, y'all are, yeah. Pray for, pray for Pastor and I as we were there in Fiji. One of the reasons I've got him there, first of all, I want to get him in the islands. Right? Yeah, I, I want to get him in the island. But secondly, I want him just pouring in to those students' lives. So pray for Pastor and I as we are there, that God will bless and pray. Hey, this coming week, you guys are hosting missions in me. Uh, we're going to be over there. What do you guys call that? Classroom six or something like that? Yeah. Would you just pray with me that the presence of the Holy Spirit would be palpable for the next three days in that classroom? That we would be constantly aware of the presence and the power of God. Amen. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys taking the offering tonight uh, and doing that for Renee and I. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Uh, we need your help. I was telling Pastor, a, you know, we fly pretty often uh, from the U.S. to Australia, and then that's our launching out point to the rest of the Pacific. And before COVID, that ticket was $1,100 a person. And so when me and Renee and Eli would jump on the plane, it cost us $3,300 to go back and forth from Australia in order to get into one of the Pacific nation countries. And now that flight is $2,600. And so we're looking at instead of $3,000, $3,300, we're looking at almost $8,000. And the thing about it is, <clears throat> I mean, it hurts me to spend money. But I want the kingdom of God to advance it as well. Hallelujah. Missionaries, money. I can see I'm, I'm off to a bad start. So to rescue me tonight, I have a friend with me. Josh and Alicia Allard are going to New Zealand, and I'm going to just get out of the way. Yeah, come on, dude. This is all you. You guys, you guys rescue me. They're going to minister in song. Hello. All right. We all look great tonight. You're welcome. <laughs> Especially you, Pastor. You look wonderful. All right. Well, this is a new song that um, I did not write it. It was by another church called River Rally. But when I heard it, I was like, man, I have never heard a mission song that so encapsulates the call. And if I wasn't already called to be a missionary and I heard this song, I may have been called one hearing it. 
So as you, if you sing along with me, that would be great. I think we're going to have the lyrics up there. Just be careful, because singing this song, you may start feeling the call to go. <laughs> I can hear my Savior calling, take up your cross and follow me, let my heart move in sweet surrender, Lord it's my joy to say yes to you, come on stand with me. Send me, send me, I'll go anywhere, I'll go anywhere, send me, send me, I'll go Send me, I'll 
I'll go anywhere. I'll go. Come on, make this our prayer tonight. Send me. Send me. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Send me. Send me. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Send me, Lord. Send me to the nations. Just make that your prayer. Send me. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Send me, Lord. Send me. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. Where you call, I go. Send me. Hallelujah. Can you make that your prayer tonight? Can you say it with honesty to God? I'll go anywhere. Thank you, Josh, Alicia, Amy. These guys do a great job. Hallelujah. You can be seated if you like. A few years ago, Greg Mundus had a conversation with a young pastor, a youth pastor. He told me that the youth pastor informed him he had done a thorough study of the word go. He had studied it in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. He had dug deep into its meaning. He had studied the etymology and the root meanings that came from the various Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic words used, and he came to a startling conclusion. Go means go. Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, a couple of years ago, I gave you a few go words, but today I want to give you some more. Is that all right? Y'all remember the sermon I preached two years ago, right? Yeah, I figured you would. Matthew chapter 28, verses 10 through 15. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night, stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Very simply, go tell. Go tell. These women were the first 
to hear the news of the resurrection. They were the first to see the risen Lord. They had news. News that would turn darkness to daylight, despair to joy, and death to life. And entrusted with this message, they're given only one command, go tell. You and I, we have a story to tell. This world needs to know, must know, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He was born of a virgin. That He lived a sinless life. That He died in our place. That He rose again on the third day. That He ascended to the right hand of the Father. That He sits by the Father and He's praying there for you tonight. And that soon He's returning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, to, to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of this story is the presence of competing narratives. You realize the chief priests knew the full story of the resurrection just as soon as, or maybe even before, the disciples. And so the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. I mean, literally, they went in and they said, now we were standing there, guard, like you said we were supposed to do. But around about dawn, there was an earthquake. And as the ground shook, there was two men in white apparel that came down. We fell down like we were dead people. The stone rolled away. Jesus came walking out of the grave. I mean, it is, it is, it is mind-blowing to me that the chief priest knew the truth, the whole truth, and yet they concocted a falsehood, a competing narrative. They told the soldiers... Tell people his disciples stole his body. They didn't instruct them to deny that Christ was no longer in the grave. They just gave a different explanation. One of the things that drives us, must propel us, to obey the command of Christ is the presence of competing narratives. It's not that those who sit in darkness have heard no story. Listen, there's many stories out there. And there's many of these stories that are going to try and tell people. Satan has crafted a counter story to deceive, blind, and inoculate people against the story of the resurrection in an effort to keep them from believing. That was true in the immediate aftermath of the resurrection. It said many of the Jews didn't believe because of this false narrative. It's still true today in the high schools of America, in the offerings of Hollywood, and around the world with false religion, Satan continues to promote a false narrative to keep people from believing in Jesus Christ. You know, before COVID, Renee and I traveled to Shanghai, Thailand, on behalf of Worldview Magazine. And while we were there, we visited the White Temple. It is a Buddhist temple. And from a, from a distance, the White Temple looks like a wedding cake. It is brilliant white, and it sparkles and gleams with thousands of tiny mirrors. It is beautiful. However, the closer you get, the more macabre, loathsome, and sickening it becomes. Traffic cones around the temple are topped with human skulls. What appears to be decomposing corpses hang from the trees. 
demonic figures erupt, erupt from carefully manicured gardens. To enter the white temple, you have to walk over a gaping entrance to hell. There below you, decaying corpses writhe in torment as they're pierced by their sins. And thousands of hands reach up from the abyss. Some are grasping, others pleading, some making vile signs, others holding the sins that sent them to this torment. All are trapped in a net of tendrils of demonic creatures. I was stunned to learn that the White Temple was constructed to display heaven. As you move over this pit of hell, past a mural depicting the current suffering in the world, towards a massive Buddha, you eventually come to a depiction of nirvana. I want you to hear me. There's a message here. The message, everyone goes to hell. No point trying to avoid it. You simply have to experience the torment and work your way out of hell and into heaven. You see how Satan continues to spread a false narrative. He desperately wants to counter the good news. He wants to convince the more than one billion Buddhists in the world that there is no hope. He doesn't deny his existence. He doesn't deny the existence of hell. He just spreads the lie that you cannot escape. You and I, you and I must tell the story. Listen to me. The central problem of humanity is not that people make mistakes and need a better system of ethics in order to be better people and create a better society. Religion, almost any religion can achieve that. The core issue is this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin produces spiritual death. And the only remedy for spiritual death is to be born again. And only those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ experience new birth. Many atheists, Buddhists, Hindus, Mormons, Muslims are good people. Hear me. You say, Brian, I met them. I work with them. They're good people. Yes. But they are spiritually dead people because religion and philosophy cannot produce spiritual life. Only Jesus Christ can do that. You come down to this altar. You confess your sins to Jesus. You put your belief in Him. And a miracle takes place in your life. And new life takes root there. Paul said in Ephesians 2, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. We must actively counter the false narrative of Satan whether it is secularism and humanism here in America, or whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or animism in the nations of the world, what we do is vital. We must firmly, decisively refute the false narrative of the God of this world with the truth that Jesus Christ has, in fact, risen from the dead. A pastor was talking to me about at lunch 
how that he was um, on the plane going on a mission trip. On the plane was an outreach from a Catholic group. On the plane was an outreach from a Mormon group. And in a very real way, it's going to be what message reaches people's ears first. Amen? Mm. Well, let's talk about let's talk about going further. Luke 24, verses 28 and 29. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. And they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So they went in, so he went in to stay with them. And you know the story. This is the story of Jesus on the on the road to Emmaus with the, the two disciples. They get to the village and and Jesus says, I'm I'm gonna go further. They said, No, you need to stay with us. And he goes in and he breaks the bread. Now, now the thing about it is they had gone a day's journey. They had they had walked a full day's worth. They were done, Pastor. But when Jesus breaks the bread and their eyes are opened and they are aware it's Jesus with them, and then he is gone from the room, it says they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I want you to understand that they were at the end of their day and they were at the end of their strength. But once they knew who Jesus was and that Jesus was in fact risen from the dead, they were able to make it all the way back to Jerusalem. And seeing Jesus moves us to go further as well. Very simply, go further. As a brand new missionary, I was not used to how Nivanawatu communicated yet. Pastor Dick told me, he said, there's a village where we need to go plant a church. You need to go with me. I said, okay, how far away is it? Oh, it's very close, he said. Let me call us up no more. That is a that is what we call in Vanuatu a gyaman. That is a lie. Huh? Let me call us up no more. He's not got one small hill no more. But just, 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 go, just go down this path. We'll go up a little hill. We'll be there. So I drove down to the Ora River where the Ora River crosses the road and we got out and we put our backpacks on and we started walking and we crossed that river 23 times that day. And after we had crossed the river 23 times, we come to a waterfall and the waterfall is over 600 foot high. And, 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 and I'm standing at the base of that waterfall and just thundering off the mountain on us. And I, and it's an awe inspiring thing. And I said, how do we get up there? And he said, well, we just, that's the small hill. I mean, I wish, I wish I could, I wish I had a picture. I wish I had a video I could show you. I mean, it's just, it's just this, it's just this little spine ridge top that, that comes down off the side of the mountain. And it's, and it's, I mean, Pastor, it's just almost straight up and down. And then off to the side, each side, it just drops off. The path was about that wide. And I start going up that ridge top. You can look at me and know I am not a mountain climber. I am not athletic. I got about a third of the way up, and my 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 knees are doing this number right here, right? And Chief Norman's behind me. He said, "Here, missionary, let me let me have your backpack." And I give it to him. I said, "Why did you wait till next?" He said, I thought I'd wait till your knees started shaking, you know. He was just watching to see when I started trembling, you know. But but I, I he takes the backpack, and I got my walking stick, and I'm gonna be okay now. I get about another third of the way up, Pastor Ron. I got spots in front of my eyes. This is a bad thing. I'm about to pass out. And there's a tree growing horizontally out from the mountain there, just out over the abyss. And I just laid down on the tree. And I told him, 
I was out of water. I was out of food. I told him, I said, guys, I cannot go any further up. I cannot go back down. I, you just go get my wife and kids. This is where I'm living from now on. This is my spot. And they said, no, missionary. They said, no. They said, we're almost to the top. We're almost to the top. They have this expression about them. They said, by you mean side them hill. By you mean side them hill. So we're not going to climb it anymore. We're just going to go along its side, you know. So by you mean side them hill. We're almost to the top, missionary. And they said, when we get to the top, there's springs of cool, cold water, and you'll be able to see the village. One of them ran ahead and got me some water from those springs, and another one dug around and found some beef jerky in his pack, and I ate the beef jerky, and I drank the water, and about 30 minutes later, the spots went away, you know. And so I I, I, I went that last third of the way up the mountain there, and, and, and I got there, and, man, there's these three beautiful little waterfalls with beautiful pools there. I just... Pastor, I just fell in it, man. I mean, you know, I didn't bend down was in, in Gideon's story where did they lap like a dog or cup it in their hand? No, I just I just did the nesty plunge. I just I'm just into the pool and I'm just laying in the pool drinking water, you know. And oh, I praise God I made it up here. And you know, they told me then I'm gonna be able to see the village, right? And so I stand up and I said, Where's the where's the village? And they pointed. And there's this ridge top that's black on the horizon. And they you said, You see, you see that one big tree. You said, we look at Nabangaya. You see that one big tree there, missionary? That's Nagurkum. And I stood there and my legs trembling. And I felt like there is no way I could go. But I was reminded that Jesus did. Hmm? And so I went just a little bit further. I remember standing on the top of the mountain, because Nagurugum truly is the top. And I remember standing on the top of the mountain and looking at valleys and ridges and valleys and ridges and valleys and ridges and asking Chief Norman, does anybody go there? He said, all missionaries. The people who go there sell their lives. And I knew in that moment I was going to climb those mountains and I was going to go to those valleys because I had to go further. That's what Jesus does. So I would ask you, where are you in the journey of sharing your faith with others? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've yet to share the gospel with anybody. Well, it's time to go further. What you need to do is you need to ask God. You just pray sincere prayer tonight. Say, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody this week. And then the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do, he's going to arrange this divine appointment. And when he arranges this divine appointment, you just you just take it. And, and don't worry about whether or not you're going to get it right. And don't worry about whether you have all the right answers. I want you to understand something. You are somebody's only hope of eternity. So go further. Maybe you've considered taking a mission trip. Maybe you said, I ought to join Pastor Ron on one of these mission trips, but I just don't know. Listen to me. It's time to go further. Sign up for one of the next mission trips. Don't worry about the money. God's got plenty of money. Don't worry about how foreign it's going to be. God's going to go with you. Just take a step further. 
Maybe you've gone with Pastor Ron on a half a dozen missions trip. God stirred your heart. You know you're supposed to go, but you're not sure exactly where or how. You <laughs> Listen to me. You are called to abandon all. To travel to a strange land. Speak to a strange people who speak a strange language. To introduce them to the living God. If, if that's you, I want you to come see me after this service. And I will show you how to take that next step and go further. Hallelujah. Y'all so quiet on me. Yeah. I know. I'm supposed to be a missionary. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to ask for money, right? I appreciate your money. Don't get me wrong. I do. I like it. That's good. I spend it, don't I, guys? Y'all have seen it. Yes, y'all have seen it. I spend it. All right. Let me give you one. Is there, can I give you one more? Do we have time for one more? Okay. Here's, here's the last one. Then we're done. Go in. John 20, verses 3 through 8. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the lion clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and he believed. Now I don't I don't know how you imagine this, but let me let me pitch it for you. Let me help you understand the narrative that's going on. Peter and James and John and the others have been following Jesus for three years with the full expectation he was going to set up a political kingdom and rule a political kingdom centered in Jerusalem. And guess what? Their king was assassinated. He was crucified. And they were hiding in a room with locked doors expecting they would be next because they were his followers. And Mary shows up with this totally impossible, improbable story. The tomb is empty. And I saw an angel. And the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not there. Wow. And so Peter and John jump up. Now, it says they took off running together. Hmm? No, but, but one of them, I don't know how you imagine it. I see John shaped more like Josh Allard there, right? He's slim and trim and athletic, and Peter's a little bit more like me. And they both took off running, but something happened. Mr. Slim and Trim got to the tomb first. Peter back there huffing and puffing, but I'm going to get there, right? Ain't nothing stopping me. I may be a little out of breath when I get there, Pastor, but I'm going to get there. All right, John shows up at the tomb. First man ever to get to the tomb, the empty tomb. Now, I want you to think about this. There are, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people every year that fly to Jerusalem. Huh? And they pay money and stand in line so that they can have about 10 seconds standing in a hole in the ground that might be. You understand what I'm saying to you? It might be the tomb. And they just feel so good while they're in it. 
No, no, understand. I'm not picking on them. If I get the chance one of these days, I'll go stand that hole in the ground too, Pastor. I'll do it. But, but I want you to understand that John was not like, well, this might be the tomb. He was not getting a 10-second shot be in there. He wasn't standing in line. John, John was part of the burial party for Jesus. He knew this was the tomb. He knew it was empty. He come and he stood on the edge and he did not go in. It's mind-blowing to me. I ask about 60 theologians to answer the question for me, why did John not go in? Nobody knows. But John's standing there looking in, and here comes Peter. Hey, he's out of breath, but he's going in. huh? I mean, Peter bursts past John, goes into the tomb, and he said, then, then... John went in, and he saw, and he believed. Why did John hesitate? I don't know. We can speculate, but we can't answer definitively. But let me give you a few observations about going in, all right? Hesitation is okay, as long as you don't stay outside. Sooner or later, to move forward in your faith walk with God, you're going to need to go in. Amen? Going in looks different for different people. That's okay. You can go in quickly. You can go in slowly. How you go in doesn't matter. Just go in. Going in precedes Believe. You know what a lot of people want to do? They want to say, I want to be sure about this thing before I go in. They say, I got unanswered questions. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what this is going to look like. And so their questions, what they don't know, holds them back. I want you to notice that John went in, and then he saw, and then he believed. Sometimes what you got to do is take the first step. Hallelujah. Now, we start talking about missions. I want you to understand that it is not the purview of a select few. God has not called some to sacrifice others. Sorry, God has not called for some to sacrifice all and others to simply be beneficiaries of the gospel. Oh, Renee and I, we'd go to churches, you know, especially they have Sunday school, and they let us do question and answer. You know, they say, well, you go visit them village where you sleep. Well, we sleep on the floor of a hut. Or where'd you take your bath? We took our bath in the river. Or where'd you, where'd you do your business? In the same hole in the ground everybody else did. Well, where'd you do your laundry? Renee went down beside the river with all the other ladies. Wash her clothes right there. No, no, no. And I can't tell you, can't tell you how many people will come up afterwards and they'll say, Oh, wow, thank you for doing that. I could never do that. I want you to understand something. God has not called my family to one level of sacrifice and your family to a different level of sacrifice. We are all called. And we are all called to give our all. Amen? 
No, God may call me to be in Vanuatu. God may call you to be in Springfield. But all who enjoy the benefits of the gospel share in its obligation. And the obligation of the gospel is that I will make sure that every person that does not have access to the gospel today will get access before it is too late. That's the obligation of the gospel. So what will it look like for you to go in? Well, you can go in via prayer. A. N. Trotter, when he when he was unable to return to the mission field because of physical limitations, said, me and Sister Trotter pray our way around the world every day. You need to begin to pray for people who don't have access to the gospel. If you say, Brian, I don't know where those people are, talk to a missionary and they'll tell you about it. Or go to the Joshua Project and look at where unreached people groups are. You need to begin to pray that God will make a way for those who don't have anyone who speaks their language to tell them the story of Jesus, that somebody will go and somebody will learn the language and somebody will tell them the story of Jesus. You need to pray about that. You need to pray for those who are engaged in missions. Listen, you got the Rojacks in your church. I can't tell you how many times they text me in the middle of the night say, gunfire going off in our village. Would you pray for us? Pray for those who are engaged in this mission. He said, Brian, I I work a full-time job. I'm busy. I don't have hours of prayer. Listen, whisper a prayer every moment that the Holy Spirit prompts you, and he'll begin to do it more and more. Go in in prayer. Hallelujah. Some of you need to go in in your giving. Hallelujah. I know missionaries talk about money. It's always a problem. I walk over there in your hall, Pastor. You've got a good-looking group of missionaries. Yeah, you do. That's great. But you know what we need? We need every person who attends Oak Grove Assembly of God Church to give something to missions every month. No, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a million dollars. God didn't, you don't have a million dollars. God didn't call you to give a million dollars. You just take what God put in your hand and you go in. No, and you say, Brian, I don't believe I can do that. I look at my budget, and I don't have enough money at the end of every month in order to be, I don't have any extra. Remember, going in precedes belief. Take a step of faith. Say to God, God, you see my budget. You see my finances. I don't have a lot to give. But God, here's just $10 right here. I'm going to give it to mission and see what God will do for you. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, but some of you, for some of you going in means you need a passport. It means you need to fill out an application to serve as a missionary. It means you need to get on a plane. It means you need to count the cost. It means you need to give. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand? Father, I don't know. I know you do. What held John back in that moment? I don't know what made him hesitate. And I don't know what would hold back some of the folks that are listening to me tonight. There's some, there's some people here that have not shared their faith. They hadn't done it. They, 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 they've worked beside the same unbeliever. 
uh, for for years, and they've never they've never said, "Hey, let me tell you what Jesus did in my life." And maybe they don't believe that that that'll be received. Maybe maybe they struggle with believing they could do an adequate job of telling the gospel. But I I pray for them tonight. I pray you give them the courage, give them Peter courage, to just go in. Just take that step. And Lord, as they tell their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers about you, Jesus, I pray that you'd give them success in that. That you'd give them fruit for their, for their efforts. God, there's some folks here today that have never given to missions. They thought about it. They prayed about it, maybe. Preachers talked about it, and they thought maybe they ought to. But when it comes to that idea of making a commitment to giving... Every month, they just can't see how that would work. I pray for my friends here tonight, Lord. I pray that you'd give them the courage to just go in. Try it. Try it for three months. Whatever it is, whatever the amount is, try it for three months. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts right now, specific amounts, and that we would begin to respond by saying, Yes, Lord, I'll take that step. I'll go in. God, I believe there's some folks here tonight that your call on their life is for them to go. You're calling them to go. And I don't know if maybe they haven't felt like they're worthy. Maybe they feel like you can't use them. I I, I don't know, God. I don't know what's holding them back. And even though I know they can't get on a plane tonight, I pray that you'd help them to take that first step. Pray that you'd help them just to go in and say, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Just send me. We'll thank you, Father. We praise you, Father. Listen, it's entirely possible that you're sitting here in this room tonight, and I want to say the altars are open. If you want to come, you want to pray. I don't care what it is, where, what area of your life you feel like you need to go in, this altar's open.